Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we pray today that you'll be encouraged. Why would I pick the book of Obadiah to preach from? Because <laughs> it's short. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I will be. It's a prophecy of doom, and who needs news, more doom news in our time, in our situation? Life, just regular life, has its own problems and issues, and then we add a pandemic on top of it. Obadiah reminds us that those who rely on God in faith have hope that can't be taken away. And that's a theme of ours for the year here at Grace Chapel, the theme of hope that Jesus Christ gives us, that our God and Savior gives us. He gives us hope. We have a bright future, and he will not disappoint us. Why preach in Obadiah? Because God's truth in Obadiah helps us examine our hearts so that we know ourselves. God wants to remove false thinking, bad attitudes, unholy and unfruitful living in our lives. So we read Obadiah because he wants us to understand, to, to check and make sure that we're not prideful because unchecked pride, unchecked pride that doesn't, unchecked pride that does not look into God's truth leads to death, not to life. James tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are we prideful? Have our hearts deceived us like Obadiah said, prideful hearts are deceived, eat them in verse 3. Have you humbly received God's grace of goodness? We just sang about the goodness we have because of God and Christ. Nothing to brag about or boast in ourselves, but only through him. God in Obadiah is pleading with us not to make the same mistake that Edom did, that Esau, Edom was Esau's descendants, that they did. Edom despised God. He despised God's commands and God's people. And Obadiah, we get to know God better, to understand what God means when he says to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. Do you have that down yet? I know I don't. Does God keep his promises? Yes, we learn that God does keep his promises. And that can be really good for those who trust in God. But for those who ignore him, that's bad news. God commands, though, lead us to hope, to joy, to peace. In Obadiah, we get to know the story of Esau and Jacob because that helps us understand the book of Obadiah. If you don't know that story, we're going to do a quick fly through it today. You need to know that story. It helps us understand Obadiah. And then again, I say it, Obadiah helps us know ourselves. Pride is so deceptive. You have it, and you don't even know it. <laughs> we collectively, as a local church, could be proud and not see it. God is asking us to examine our hearts. So as we begin our, our quick study in Obadiah today, the minor of the minor prophets, because he's the shortest of the minor prophets, and minor prophets have important messages. They're just minor because they're short. Why do we look at it? Because we say together this prayer of David from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me 
in the way everlasting. May that be our prayer today as we look into the book of Obadiah. Would you join me if you haven't already opened your Bibles? Turn to Obadiah and we'll look at the first nine verses. Uh, Glenn read those verses for us. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. And then he goes on, God lists things that are going to happen to them. To understand Obadiah, as we said, we need to understand the story of the twin brothers Esau and Jacob. You can find that story in Genesis chapters 25 through 26. You see, those two boys in their mother's room began wrestling, and Rebecca was wondering, what is going on inside of me? And she inquired of the Lord, and he said, there's two, two, two lives in your womb, Rebecca. Two boys are in your womb, and the younger is going to dominate over the older. The older is going to serve the younger. And there was antagonism in the womb. There was antagonism all through their lives. Esau, the oldest son, despised his birthright. The birthright gave him the privilege and the responsibility to be a steward, a steward of the spiritual well-being of Isaac and Rebekah's descendants, his family. He was to be a steward of their physical needs. He was, had a privileged position, and he despised it. He sold it for a bowl of soup because he didn't care about that position that God had, had given him as the eldest son. Jacob deceived Isaac. You might remember the story how he stole the blessing that Isaac wanted to give to Esau. And, and of course, Esau hated Jacob for that. Jacob fled. Those two brothers were reconciled. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 32, but they were never really one in spirit. Why? Because Jacob was a man of faith. Now, he was a deceiver. He was a bad guy. But God's grace and goodness, God's choosing of him, changed Jacob through his life, and God transformed him into a man that was brought glory to God. Esau, on the other hand, had God's grace poured into his life. He was blessed by God, but he never turned, never humbled himself before God. He was proud, lifting himself up by his own bootstraps, so to speak you know, like the American way. And he was successful in the world's eyes, but he failed with God. Esau represents the unfaithful, the unbelieving. Jacob represents the ideal person, man or woman, who believes in God, is transformed by God as they lean on God's grace. We read in Hebrews chapter 12 that Esau, when he lost the blessing, wanted it so bad, but he never got it because it was too late, because his heart was deceived and he didn't have faith in God. Fun trivia fact. Remember King Herod in the Christmas story, the bad guy who, wanted to have all, who had all the infants killed because he was trying to get rid of Jesus? Guess who, who he descended from? Esau. Antagonism between the people of God and unbelieving people through the centuries continues on through this day. So pride was Esau's problem. It was Edom's problem. How humbling it is to think, dads and moms, that our attitudes, our sinful attitudes, our unholy attitudes, our godless attitudes are easily passed on to our children, and a whole nation followed after their father Esau in the way they looked at God and how they didn't trust in him. Pride was a key element, we believe, in, in Satan's fall. You can read about it in, in Isaiah chapter 14. We know 
in the prophecy, God's speaking about Babylon, but yet it seems to be the I wills that are in those verses, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, are talking about the devil himself who said, I will ascend to heaven. I'm going to rule. I'm going to be like God. Come follow me. No one will bring me down. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And Edom is a parable, a story that shows that to be true. Paul tells us in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians, so if you think you are standing firm, watch out. Be careful that you don't fall. Esau and Edom were profane. That's not a normal word that we use these days. What does it mean to be profane? A person who has no spiritual conception of what's important. So like Esau, they sell their birthright for a bowl of soup because they don't value what's important. Or you sell your soul to gain the world, but you lose eternal treasures and joy and peace. Temporary, you, you grab the temporary and lose the eternal. That's being profane, irreverent, godless. It's being proud of your earthly instincts, your animal instincts, heaven's values you never even ponder or don't care about. They're readily ignored. You're acting as though you can live independent of God. That's being profane. So profane woman, a profane man, never prays. They never worship. They never humble themselves. They never ponder or think about God. There's no, as G. Campbell Morgan says, there's no commerce with God. There's no interchange, there's no dialogue, there's no understanding, there's no getting to know their creator or their maker. They don't have time for God. So what was Edom trusting in that they said, who will bring me down? They were profane. They were proud of their defenses. Edom, you've seen it on uh, one of the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, one of those movies, Petra. It was in this narrow cavern. I mean, uh, high walls and rocks. They built a city into the, into the, into the walls of rock. There's a narrow passage it, about a mile long to get into the capital city of Petra. It, it, its average width is 15 feet. Wow. They thought they were so invincible. No one could bring them down. Nations had tried, and they, a few men could keep armies of hundreds out just because of the narrow passage. They were proud of their geography and their natural resources. They were proud of their allies. They had the most powerful friends in the world. Everybody loved them. They were on a trade route. They were rich. People knew them. They had wise men. The men of the East is a phrase referring to the people of Edom. Edom was defiant. Who can bring me down? And God said, I will and there'll be nothing left. Robbers will take everything, strip bare. There won't be a little grape hanging. They'll take everything. Verse 4 says, though you soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars. That's God talk. Small g. But that's God talk. That's like we are it. God says, from there I will bring you down. And what God says, God does. It's the sovereign God Almighty 
who says this. Is he being harsh? Wow. God exalts nations. And then we go and forget the one who made us great. We think it's us who does it. We get proud. We get profane. We may give God lip service, but we're really not trusting in him or humbling ourselves. We're proud of ourselves. Have you ever heard any statements about pride for that our nation has? I shudder. I get chills up and down my spine every time I hear somebody say, we are the greatest nation ever. Oh, really? We have the best technology and weapons. We can defend ourselves. We have great allies. We have the know-how. We have the willpower to overcome any recession, any political issues, any unrest, any health issues. Think about it. Who's made us great? And by the way, what does Jesus Christ think makes a nation great? It's very different than what we say it is a lot of times. Will this nation even, even be here when Jesus returns? Maybe, but I wouldn't bank on it. Followers of Jesus Christ never, ever get caught up in nationalistic pride. So much so, that you forget who is the king of kings and what his constitution and his commands and his mandates are. There is no political party, there is no leader who can save us but Jesus Christ. So be warned and be humbled by Edom's pride and its fall. It's a reminder of nations and what's gonna happen to them all. There's been other great superpowers and they are no more or they're nothing of what they were. God's people, we are to walk differently. Our commands are different. We go a different way. We lead people who don't know to God's better ways. That's our commission. That's our disciple-making commission. And we better get to it. Because there are people in this world that don't have a clue to what is coming in judgment for the nations soon. And Jesus Christ is the answer. And we need to give them that hope. We are the light that's to shine in the darkness that chisels away at the pride and replaces it with the humility and goodness that comes alone from Jesus Christ. I'm preaching, aren't I? Sorry. <laughs> Local churches, we can drift away from Christ's mandate and not even know it. Remember the Corinthians? They were really proud. And they were a mess. Remember the churches in Revelation? Most of them thought they were doing pretty well. And Jesus said, not in my eyes. You're not great at all. You need to change. You need to turn to me and humbly repent Change your thinking so your actions will change too. We're commanded to confess our sins to one another. So why don't we do it? I know why I don't do it. Pride. Reputation. 
What's weird is God already knows all about the mess. And we refuse to receive the resources of his word and the spirit of God that he gives us through the help of one another, carrying one another's burdens and our sins. Our duties, Christ's disciples, don't change no matter if we live in a land of liberty or tyranny. It's the same. So who you vote for is somewhat important, but who you pray to and depend on for forgiveness and whose voice you obey is most important. You're familiar with the verses, but I'll take a moment to read them. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I know it's written to Israel, but, and they had a land, but we're God's people, and the earth is ours because of Christ. And here's what he says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Wow. Starts with God's people, doesn't it? Prideful thinking produces fruit. How do we reveal if our hearts are proud or humble? Well, Edom revealed its proud heart by how it lived, and it, and it showed it by being passive. In verses 10 through 14, I'll just take a minute to read those. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On that day, you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivals in the day of their trouble. They showed their pride by, first of all, passively just standing back and saying, whoa, look what's happening to the, those people in Jerusalem, to our brothers. <laughs> They're getting what they deserve. They didn't care. It's not our problem. It's their problem. They stood by and watched and did nothing. How often have we stood by and done nothing when we've seen injustice or unfairness or hurtful acts being done against others, but we were afraid? Recent events point to that, don't they? The demonstrations and all that turmoil because somebody saw something wrong happening and they did nothing. Their act of pride was on display as well. They joined in. Ha! The Israelites are finally getting what they deserve. I always hated those people. I wanted to do something, and now's our chance. So let's go loot. Let's go rob. Let's, there come some fugitives. Let's turn them in. We'll, we'll become friends with the Babylonians. We don't want to get in trouble with them. Wow. So they killed. And when they stood back and did nothing, God says, it's as though you were one of them. They were as guilty because they did nothing as they were when they did something. 
Have you ever pondered the pride that kept the, in the parable of Jesus of the Good Samaritan that kept the priest and the Levite from helping the man who, who was in need? Were they too important? Were they too afraid? How about the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man, what pride was in his heart that he never helped the beggar that lived just outside the gate of his house? And he never helped that man? What pride. Hey, think about this. God was judging Israel. They were getting what they deserved. The Babylonians were ransacking them because they had disobeyed God. But guess what, Edom? Yeah, God was judging them, but it was your job to love your enemy, to love your neighbor, to show mercy, even though they didn't deserve it, even though I was judging them, you have to help. You ever hear the old saying, they made their bed, they can lie in it? You've never thought it or said it, have you? People make foolish, sinful, hurtful choices, and we like to see them get what they deserve. But you know what God says? Be merciful. Show kindness. Help them. If you want to, show tough love. But at least come alongside them and show them some kind of love. Don't make it as an excuse to do nothing. Because I've commanded you to love your enemies. Why? Because I have not treated you as your sins have deserved. Wow. Hear what Jesus says from Luke. Luke chapter 6. It's really convicting. I tell you. Whoops. Not quite there. But I tell you, hear me, Jesus says. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other one also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Boy, that's tough, but it even gets tougher. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. I fail. How about you? And yet Jesus says, you want to be my sons and daughters? Then reflect the mercy that I've shown to you and to the world and to the nations. I can't do it. The good news of Isaiah, Pastor Will's been preaching from it. It's just familiar verses to many of us. Speaking of Christ, but he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for, I'm making it personal, my iniquities. 
The punishment that brought me peace was upon him, and by his wounds I am healed. I'm like a sheep, and I've gone astray, and I've turned to my own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of me. That's how I can begin to love my enemies, when I understand and embrace the goodness and grace that God has shown to me. The Edomites were proud and heartless people. And Christians, we need to guard our hearts and minds so we don't drift off into pride and make excuses for standing back and not doing anything, or actively, at least if not literally with our hands, in our hearts, glad that people are getting what they deserve rather than showing mercy. Pride is so dangerous because it's so deceptive. I don't even see it in my heart. And when, and when my good wife points it out to me, I deny it. I defend myself. We do that all the time. Imagine saying, he's a good man, but a thief. She's a good Christian, but a liar. It doesn't connect. He's a good man, just a little proud. Why do we put up with it? Because we need God's grace to clean every nook and cranny of our hearts from our pride that would have us think somehow we deserve good instead of God's wrath. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Know what God loves and what God hates and adjust our lives so we get in step. Pray for God's grace to help you walk more like Jesus because our world needs to see it. We're desperate for it. And God and Christ is the answer. And then there's God's inevitable justice. In verses 15 and 16, we read this. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank in my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they, as if they have never been. It's the old idea of sowing and reaping. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians about sowing and reaping, and he warned them, and he warns us to be careful to what we sow our lives in, what we invest in. Let me just read quickly. In verse 7 it reads, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. As a man reaps, he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nation will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't quit giving up being good to bad people, to wicked people. It's tiring. It wears us out. We wear ourselves out, but it, God says there will be great reward. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
Wow. Let's be good to one another. Let's be gracious and merciful and humble with one another. The people of Israel were reaping what they sowed. They were being ransacked. Edom was reaping what they sowed. They were having their own day of the Lord. They were being destroyed, and they are no more. There's been lots of days of the Lord. There's big ones and little ones. Even the little ones seem big if they're happening to you. Noah's flood was kind of a big day of the Lord, a judgment. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a big day of the Lord when the nations are purified and everything's made right. Israel was having a little day of the Lord. They were being judged. Edom was, had their own little day of the Lord. All the nations, we need to remember as people, there's a day of the Lord coming and let it spur us on to be kingdom workers, disciple makers, going out and being merciful, fighting injustice wherever we see it, whether it's in our school hallways or in our neighborhoods or in our nation. As you have done, it will be done to you. That's true individually. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's true as a nation. God's final word is a word of hope. God's deliverance is on Mount Zion. He says, beginning at verse 17, but on Mount Zion, that's God's dwelling place, on Mount Zion there will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. God's going to keep his promise. Even though they don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, God promises us us riches in Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and it's going to be ours. That's a very positive thing. Esau and Edom were unbelieving people. They were unrepentant. They didn't care about God. And for a while it seemed to work. Do you know Edom? was successful while Israel was down in bondage in Egypt. Edom was becoming a great kingdom and prosperous. It seemed to work without God, but in the end, it failed. They are no more. God's kingdom is going to be forever. Israel is going to possess the land, and there are going to be deliverers sent in verse 21. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. See, there's even hope for Edomites still, because of God's grace and his goodness, he's going to send deliverers, not just a deliverer, not just Christ, but people working in Christ's kingdom, going out, spreading the good news of God to even these people. The kingdom will be the Lord's. Rethink when you say the Lord's Prayer. Or the disciples' prayer. Thy kingdom come. Don't just say, thy kingdom come. Take a minute when you say that prayer and think about what that kingdom is and all that it represents. The love, the peace, the joy, the justice, the righteousness, the holiness, the sinlessness. No more grudges, no more hurts, no more death, no more tears. Think about what that kingdom is and then let it drive us to be kingdom workers that bring a little taste of that kingdom into our world. There is someone in your world right now who needs a taste of the goodness and grace and joy of God that only Jesus Christ can give. How can I serve them this week? It might just be your mom or dad, teenagers. 
how you serve them this week to bring them a little joy of God's kingdom. We all are responsible for that. It could just be starting in our family. Be ready for God's kingdom. It's going to come. It's a sure thing. The Spirit of God tells me it's true. Receive the gift of life that only comes through believing in Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, the one God punished so we didn't have to be punished. Believe in him. Prepare for God's kingdom now by living by his rules, his ways, by his grace, by faith, living righteously and asking for his help to live more holy. Bring a taste of God's kingdom. So why Sermon on Obadiah? Because God wants me to examine my heart. Am I proud? That's a given. So Lord, begin to show me all the nooks and crannies where I have pride that I haven't turned over to you to humbly live. Pride deceives us, so we need God's help to overcome. Why look into Obadiah's prophecy? Because it leads us to Jacob and Esau and reminds us of the way two different lives were lived and how faith made the difference and what their ends are or will be. Why bother with Obadiah? Because it teaches us more about God. It teaches us about God's heart, what he loves and what he hates, what he expects of his children, what his grace has given to us so that we are humble and not prideful. So we end where we started with David's prayer. Would you pray with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. O Lord, search us and test us and see if there's any anxious thoughts. Test us and reveal how we are not trusting you, how our thoughts and our ways are displeasing to you. See if there's any offensive way in us and reveal it to us. Lead us in the right way, Lord. Give us strength to trust and obey. Give us help, the help we need. Help us to surrender to you, we pray. Lord, shine your light into our darkness so that we follow you and bring glory to your name. Lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. Amen.